Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. I am joined once again by Mike Lockman. Coach, how was your Labor Day weekend? It was great. It's a little bit soggy today on this Monday that we're recording it on, but man, you couldn't have, couldn't have gotten nicer weather for the, the earlier parts of the weekend, huh? Absolutely. I mean, this was like, it was a little hot Saturday afternoon uh, out in the sun, uh, but I mean, man, it was uh, the Friday night, Saturday night, just perfect nights for uh, the first weekend of football. You know, not too hot, nice and cool, uh, at least compared to what the weather has been. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just a, a great weekend for for some football. Yeah, great great week one, uh, great week one atmosphere. Right. Well, uh, you can send us your questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now on TikTok at nhhs sports. And you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports dot com. Before we get started, let's take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of the Bean Group. Are you thinking of selling your home? Now may be the time. Just like the weather, the market is hot and interest rates remain at all-time lows. It's time to call Roger Howe, a licensed professional realtor with the Bean Group. Not sure what your home is worth? Roger will provide a market analysis for you at no charge. With 12 years of experience in residential, commercial, leasing, and investment properties, Roger knows your local market. Contact Roger Howe of the Bean Group at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583 or email him at roger at rhowrealestate.com. If you would like to join Roger as a sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show or for anything we do at uh, nh-highschoolsports.com, contact me at nh-highschool or excuse me nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com and as always you can support us by signing up for a sports insider membership just go to the home page uh, go to the top where it says members click on the membership levels on the drop down menu and you're good to go all right uh we had a lot of i think interesting scores this week uh mike i, I mean for for you know week one um you you we think we know what we're talking about, what we're what we're going to get going into the week. But then there were a lot of um, a lot of surprises. Uh, I think maybe not in final scores, but at least maybe in um, you know the competitiveness. I think in some of the in Division One and Division Two. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, I I say every year, and I think I, I tweeted it out in in uh, the little recap tweet that I did on on Saturday morning that Week One is always a you know, a little bit of a different bird, right? Because teams are still finding their identities. They're still kind of working their way through what they're going to be good at and where they might have some, uh, you know, some more work to do in terms of prepping. And it always seems like, you know, the first week or two, special teams comes into play a lot more than it than it ever typically does, right? Not to say special teams isn't big, but I'm talking about big things happening on special teams, usually because, you know, one team may be still a little rusty or something on special teams. So week one's always a bit of a, an odd duck week, I think. But, uh, but it's also really cool to get our bearings and kind of see like, oh, okay, that's interesting, right? There were some good matchups. There are things that we thought that were good matchups, and they maybe ended up being so, maybe ended up being not so. And, and so, yeah, I thought, I, thought, uh, I thought we learned a lot just, just, with, this, just with this first week, basically. Agreed. Uh... So as we uh, or before we get uh, too deep into talking about specific games, um, we're gonna do 
uh, a new feature that we're ad- adding this year. We uh, kind of talked about the first couple weeks. Uh, both Mike and I are picking a, a player of the week and a team of the week to kind of, uh, you know, give a gold star to, uh, if you will. Um, so, Mike, Mike, do you want to go first with your player of the week? Yeah, sure. This was a tough one because there were a lot of big performances right. this yeah. week. There were a couple of 200-plus yard, you know, rushing yard performances. There were some really good quarterback and defensive performances. But I'm going to settle on a performance that I think – made the difference in a very, very close competitive game, and that's uh, Pinkerton's Jacob Albert, um, who had all three – did he have all three touchdowns? No, he had three of the four touchdowns. Yeah, the first three uh, in the first half, yes. Right, so he had had three rushing touchdowns, uh, an interception – and the, basically the game-sealing fumble recovery in what ended up being a very tightly contested one-point victory, 28-27, Pinkerton over Wyndham. So, again, maybe not like when you think of, you know, statistical performances, you know, they were, they were probably better. Um, and, in fact, they most certainly were better. But I think in terms of impact on the game, that's the one that I'm going with based on what I saw this weekend. I thought that was that was just a really standout performance for his team. Yeah, it, it looked like the way the first half of that game was going, that, that he was going to be, you know, um, having one of those games that you're, you're talking about, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, just came up in, in key spots, I think, for Pinkerton, um, you know, when they needed him the most, um, absolutely. Uh, just a just a big and and good for him too to get back out there. Of course, he he missed a lot of time last year with an injury, so that was kind of I think other than that that playoff game last year against Londonderry, that was his first game, um, you know, probably in quite some in in, in you know mo, um, not quite a year, but close to it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a if that's the case, and that's a great uh, that's a great welcome back party because as <laughs> I said, I mean that that performance really you know in a tightly contested game like that to have that that sort of performance. I mean, it, it was the difference maker. There's right. no doubt. Yeah. So for my player of the week, uh, I decided to go with someone I saw Friday night uh, from that Nashua North Bedford game. Uh, that's uh, Nashua North senior lineman, Toby Brown Jr., who was just um, a force uh, specifically on defense. Um, you know, Bedford had no answers for him. I had him with, uh, with three and a half tackles for loss, uh, including two and a half sacks. Um, you know, I saw some other stats on online that he had eight total tackles, um, you know, and, and then of course he also had that, uh, 86 yard, um, I guess, I guess we'll call it a fumble return for a touchdown it was a little bit of a, a controversial play, uh, in the game that we'll get into a little bit later when we, when we talk about that one. Um, you know, but he, he did have a, a return for a touchdown there too. And, and it was, I mean, it was one of those performances that, that, um, you know, just Bedford, I believe, ended up having to change their blocking uh, up front. You know, keep a tight end to try to sl- in to try to slow him down a little bit, which then threw off, you know, some other things. That one less guy to go out and and into a, a route and try to catch passes for them. Um, so yeah, just completely disrupted their offense. I had, you know, Bedford for minus uh, or negative yardage uh, rushing in that game. North with seven sacks, uh, just a, a, a great performance by the Titans defense led by uh, Toby Brown Jr. Yeah, it's not often you see high school defensive linemen racking up eight tackles in a game. You know, sometimes your your linebackers don't get that, right? Like, especially with the, the spread out 
passing game and screen game and sort of jet sweep stuff, a lot of times you get sort of your perimeter players, your safeties and, and things like that are, you know, kind of spreading the tackle. This was a, to have a defensive lineman have that dominating performance is really special, and I think he's I think he's very deserving of the recognition, yeah. no doubt. And uh, who who did you have for your team of the week? So this one was this one was tough too. I, you know, I think I sent you the text and hey, you know, you, you could go with any one of these teams. <laughs> I, I sort of had like my little rationales, but I, you, you took a little bit of my thunder because I'm going to settle on Nashua North as my team of the week. I thought that uh, you know. That was one of the tougher matchups, uh, tougher draws, uh, I think, of the entire week one, um, you know, uh, North versus Bedford. Right. And, you know, I, I think I had, I had tweeted out a, a thought on that, which was, you know, who, who thinks about uh, North or Bedford being involved in sort of a defensive slugfest? But that's, that's what it was. And, and, you know, at least that's sort of how it appeared to be. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, you get three turnovers on defense. You hold what is perennially a very potent, very proficient, balanced offense like uh, Bedford's, you know, off the way that they did. And, and as you said, right, negative rushing yardage when you tally up all the tackles for loss and right. sacks and, and things like that. That's it's almost unheard of. So I just think it's hats off to, to Nashua North. It's uh, – Coach Zabolas's premier game, right? It's his right, opening first, game. Yep, first game as a head coach. Right. So congratulations to them. They get they get the nod this week from me. So for my team of the week, I went with uh, with Dover. Uh, came out with a, a big opening win over rival Winnicott, uh, fourteen to nothing. Um, you know, and and it's from what it sounds like, um, you know, Dover was pretty solid on both sides of the ball. You look at their defense. You know, holding Winnicott at scoreless, uh, and not just scoreless, but to um, 80 yards of offense on the day. Uh, Dover had eight tackles for loss, with three of those as sacks, and forced two turnovers, a fumble, and an interception. You know, and then on offense, you had the debut of uh, of quarterback uh, Ryder Aubin, who wasn't uh, named the starter until almost right before uh, Friday's opener um, against the Warriors. You know, he had uh, a hand in both of their touchdowns. Finished with 130 yards passing, 81 yards rushing. Um, so really, uh, it, it sounds like a good all-around game for the Green Wave there. And, uh, you know, big for them picking up a win over, uh, you know, what was a, a very good Winnicott team uh, from a year ago. Maybe, you know, a little, little, as we talked last week, I think a little less depth and maybe uh, uh, still trying to figure out where some pieces go after losing so many uh, talented kids from uh, last year's runner-up. Um yeah, so uh, a good start for Dover. Yeah, and as you know, evidenced by my text message I sent you earlier today, I, Dover uh, Dover was right there on my list, too. Right. Um, you know, so you could say, hey, Winnie might be rebuilding a little bit this year. They lost a lot of kids, but still, that's a, that's a, that's a, a year-in, year-out, very, very high-performing program in Division One. You know, Dover's sort of been on a, a steady climb back into that position, um, but Dover hasn't exactly been blowing the doors off of people the last couple of well, years. This is a really, really good way for them yeah. to open the yeah. 2022 season with a with a signature wing, no matter what. So I, I was I was also very impressed by that. You also had them replacing uh, probably their you know most dynamic player in in a long time on offense, uh, offense and defense, in in, in the quarterback, uh, 
Darian Lopez Sullivan. Um, you know, so that's, yes. that's a big one too. Um, you know, how that's a, was a big question mark, I think going for in for them was just, how are they going to replace them? And, and Auburn, uh, got them off to a, a pretty good start there. Yep. Agreed. It's not, it's not always easy. In fact, it's, it's, I, I should flip my language there. It's always difficult. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have that type of guy that you've leaned on for a couple of years, that's, that's really explosive and dynamic and does things with his legs and with his arm. I mean, just that replacement campaign alone, trying to find who the next guy is going to be. And, you know, do you have to adapt the offense to a different type of player or can you keep a lot of things the same and try to get him to live up to that? Like that can be in itself a painful process. So, um, so yeah, again, nothing but respect for that, that first week win that Dover had over Winnicott. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's jump into some of these games here. And I think uh, the one I want to start with is that that Bedford North game um, got to see firsthand. Um, you know, the final was a North coming out with a 19 to seven win, which, um, you know, odd score. Uh, you know, the Titans got a couple field goals, missed an extra point. Um, you know, but they were up 19 nothing at halftime. And really, you know, the feeling at that point was like, all right, we were on our way for you know, running clock, maybe 35, nothing, that kind of situation. And, and credit to Bedford's defense, um, you know, as much, I mean, they, they mightily struggled on offense. The defense though, was able to kind of, was able to keep North in check uh, for most of the second half. I had the Titans with just actually 18 yards on offense in the second half, Um, you know, 13 carries for 13 yards too. They just were, were unable to, it was almost, it almost kind of seemed like they got that lead, um, and then you know I, I doubt it was intentional, but they just kind of almost seemed to just you know kind of um, sit back and play defense from that point on. Which yeah, you know they they did a phenomenal job. I just again I, I coming away the biggest thing was that defensive um, front. You know just the speed, the physicality of those kids. Like I said, they had you know I had them for seven sacks. You had. Again, two and a half from Brown, um, two each from Jack Peters and uh, Jordan Rison. Uh, I'm gonna, sorry here, I'm gonna mess up his name. <laughs> uh, Jordan Rison and Dino. Um, you know, he had a great game on defense. Um, you know, I also had um, Zachary Samarol with a half sack. Um, just again, an all around good performance by their defense, and and I'm really, it's it's got me kind of anxious to see what happens against some of these other teams um that north is going to see down the road i guess specifically bishop girton uh which we'll talk about in a little bit it was another team that has a a tremendous front um you know i I think that's that's of course that game uh isn't till the next to last week of the regular season but um yeah I'm, i'm i'm i think that's something to keep an eye on and also you know how does how does bedford come out of this um you know not not to say that they got to go back to the drawing board or anything, but um, certainly you know some things that they probably learned about themselves that um, they may not like all that much, and and things that they've got to get adjusted quick because they've got Salem coming in uh, on Friday. Yeah, I, I I had a chance to watch some of the games, just uh, you know streams or uh, you know YouTube, um, whatever they want to call them, right? Like after-the-fact type things, right, that are sort of broadcasts. I know that's not the, the term that, that, that the kids use these days. But, but uh, you know, and, and I, my impression was this is, this is the best I've seen North 
in terms of team defense in a long time. You know, North has had a pretty good defense, you know, give or take the last couple few years, but it's often been keyed by one or two really good players. And it, it, it seems like this year, like that, that North defense just played really good team defense against Bedford this year. Like the, you know, the, the pass rush was there, the run stopping um, scheme in the front was well executed. Most of the time people were well covered downfield. Now, you know, I guess that's a little easier when the, when the QB is kind of running for his life for the most part and can't see very well. But, uh, but I thought, I thought North's team defense was probably the most uh, impressive aspect of that, of that game. Yeah, it was, um, it was suffocating. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, Bedford uh, quarterback Danny Black just had nowhere to go. Uh, it seemed like every time he dropped back and didn't get the ball out quick, I mean, he was spinning around in circles because they were just they were they were putting all kinds of pressure on him. Um, not you yeah. Know, you, you don't. I feel like you don't see that often. You know, in in high school, just because there are you know teams that tend to to do that. You know, are are pretty much able. I think to you know, either block it up or they're able to maybe do some other things so that, that you you don't see that happen as much. And it was just, um, you know, probably just a frustrating night all around. Yeah, I think that would be the big thing. You know, my guess is Bedford's probably not going to change much. But, you know, there's a difference between me watching a game a little bit and then obviously the breakdown that coaches do on film to find out what the deal is, right? And I guess if you're Coach Matthews and and that offensive staff at Bedford, the thing that you would be looking at is, okay, like you kind of like what you alluded to Joe right it was okay what went wrong right so if if our pass blocking was not a match for the rush of of north's front for example right why did we not have answers for that right is there some sort of a a screen game that we haven't polished up yet right that we're still working on and we couldn't pull the trigger on week 1 yet or you know do we have some other things some some counters or some traps that could catch those guys rushing up field you know, kind of kick them out and run up inside of them sort of thing, right? The, the the big question that I would have if I was Bedford is just what went wrong and then do we have answers in the playbook for that? And if we don't, we got to, we got to start, we got to start thinking about that. But uh, yeah, but to your point, it's definitely not panic time for Bedford, right? I think no, they, I, my personal opinion is they faced a really good defense that was pretty hyped up and, um, you know, they probably will learn some lessons coming out of that and make some some minor adjustments headed into Salem. You know, kind of kind of similar, I think, in regard in in terms of um, you know openers. I, I don't know if you'll remember, but going back to uh, I want to say 2018, I think that was the last year that Bedford uh, last Bedford title. Um, you know, these two teams opened the the season in the same place. You know, at Stellos, first Friday of the year. Um, and, and Bedford won that game at the time. It felt like it was rather handled, but when you go back and look at it, I think it was actually the closest regular season game Bedford played that year. Um, and you wonder, Oh my, what's, you know, what's up with North? Are they, are, you know, how good are they going to be? And they turned around and I think they ended up that, I think that was the year that they had that, uh, scoreless overtime game with Merrimack in the mud in the, in the quarterfinals. So, I mean, they ended, oh, yeah, up, being, yeah. they ended up being okay, um, that year. But you know, it was a, a tough one, tough way to open, and you know, it just seems like maybe the roles are reversed this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, could be. You're, you're talking about teams asking questions about themselves or, or trying to figure out how to fix some things, and I, I think 
I, I, you know, maybe both teams from this other game um, that I saw uh, on Saturday are, are doing that. Maybe not. I don't. I'm not exactly entirely sure. I'm still not entirely sure what I watched. Um, you know, because you know, hate to use cliches, but it was a, a very much a tale of two halves for uh, Pinkerton and Wyndham on Saturday. Um, you know, Pinkerton hung on for a 28-27 win, um, but I mean, from where that game was in the first half to where it ended up. I never would have guessed that. I mean, you had Pinkerton go up twenty-one nothing, and um, you know, I'll actually, I'll, let me let me give you some some numbers. Is that all right, if I give you some numbers, Mike. Yeah, lay the so numbers on me, man. Okay. I love numbers. So the game started. Pinkerton got the opening kickoff uh, and went on a sixteen-play, fifty-eight-yard drive that took up almost eight and a half minutes. Well, first off, they started off the drive with back-to-back false starts. Uh, so they went from first and ten to first and twenty, um, converted all that. On the drive, they converted two third downs, two fourth downs. The second of which being uh, Jake Albert's first touchdown, a four-yard run, uh, go up seven nothing. So it, and then they scored on the next drive too after uh, getting an interception. Uh, Albert had an interception, and then a few plays later scored on a twenty-two-yard touchdown run. He also had a sixty-one-yard touchdown run later in the in the second quarter. So I had Pinkerton running 28 plays, 183 yards, six first downs, 14.45 for time of possession. On the other side, you got Wyndham running 18 plays, 65 yards, just two first downs, and just over nine minutes time of possession. But at the end of the half, um, Pinkerton on the, the last play of the half, actually, Pinkerton gets called for pass interference uh, on a uh, kind of Hail Mary play uh, for Wyndham. So Wyndham ends up getting a first down and an, an untimed down at Pinkerton's 19-yard line, which uh, Josh Sweeney's able to connect with uh, Brian Desmaris for a, uh, a touchdown to make it 21-7 going into the half. And it, it, it like I'll be honest, it didn't feel like momentum had swung or anything. It just it just kind of felt like okay, well, you know, Pinkerton's been dominating this game. They're just going to have to work a little bit harder to get to running clock. Um, and and I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, you know, Wyndham comes out. They go on long touchdown drives on each of their first three possessions. The last of which was an 18-play, 73-yard drive uh, that had a fourth and eight conversion, and then three other third-down conversions. Took almost 10 minutes off the clock. Uh, and of course, that was the one where, you know, with it 28-27, Wyndham opts to go for two instead of kick the extra point. They don't get it. But there was still seven and a half minutes left at that point. Uh, they just were unable to, you know, when they got the ball back, uh, unable to uh, hang on to it, losing a fumble that that ended up clinching the game. But in in the second half, I had Pinkerton running 42 plays, or excuse me, Wyndham running 42 plays to Pinkerton's 15. Uh, Wyndham also had wow. 247 yards and 14 first downs, almost 20 minutes time of possession. Uh, and they held Pinkerton to 71 yards and two first downs in that second half. Yeah. I, yeah, just, like you said, tale of two halves. Right, right. Um, and, you know, you said something interesting, you know, where you kind of said, hey, you know, uh, I wouldn't have said at the end of the half with the untimed down touchdown that momentum had swung. And, but, but the... You know the what happened in the to open the second half probably did swing the momentum. Right. That was that dreaded, you know, 
score on the last drive of the of the second quarter and score on the opening drive of the third quarter combination, right? And that really can swing momentum, not just from a point standpoint, but from a, an emotional standpoint. So you got to wonder whether that played into it a little bit. Um, and then the other thing on that point is like, you know, I can't tell you how many times when I was coaching at, uh, at Sauhegan where we would have kind of a sluggish first half maybe, and then we would, we would explode in the second half and, 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 you know, kind of break out a little bit and, you know, you or somebody else would ask me like, Oh, you know, talk about the adjustments you made at halftime and stuff. Right. <laughs> and, and you always want to sit there and make something up like, Oh yeah, well, you know, we, we did this and we checked down to that and we had this changed up on the blocking. Most of the time, the, 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 um, you know, the schematic tweaks are very limited and what, and what you're really tweaking is the emotions at halftime. Yeah. And so uh, I wonder whether, whether coach Byrne and his staff just did a really good job of capitalizing on, you know, the score at the end of the half and Hey, you know, we can play with these guys, right. Blah, 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 boom. But I, I wonder if the leadership there at Wyndham just really, you know, kind of reset those guys thinking at halftime and, you know, you come out, you go down, you score again and all of a sudden, if you're Pinkerton, you feel like you've been punched in the gut two unanswered touchdowns in a row. Right. And if you're Wyndham, you're like, yeah, coach was right, or, or whatever. The captains were right. Like, we can hang with these guys. Here we go. Well, I think they started – one thing that they definitely did was was stick to the things that were working. Uh, you know, and that was yeah. – um, you know, a big part of that was, was Tiger on his uh, – his performance uh, for the whole game, really, he had a finished with 141 yards rushing and three touchdowns, um, all all on one yard runs, uh, by the way, too. And he, uh, you know, had a great performance. That Pinkerton had a tough time bringing him down at times. And then um, Wyndham quarterback Josh Sweeney uh, in the second half too had a had a pretty good day. He finished with 88 yards uh, rushing. Um, you know, he had a, he had some nice uh, throws in the first half, I think. But really, it was what he did was able to do with his legs and his speed in the second half, um, and unfortunately had that fumble late that um, that ended up uh, kind of sealing the game. Uh, but yeah, the two of them I, I thought were were um, were fantastic in the second half of that game. The other thing I kind of mentioned too to you was um, if, you know before we started was going back and looking at the time you know the play by play. Um, you know, in, in the first half, Pinkerton lost uh, a lineman. Um, Dawson Fenner went down with an injury and, and did not return. And it really seemed like that was a very distinct, you could draw a line right there where things started yeah. to go in the other direction for, for Pinkerton. And I'm not sure, um, you know, how much of a, a setback that was for them, but it did seem like it, at least watching the game. Yeah, it can be, you know, again, it's one of those things that as a coaching staff, I think you try to guard against the emotional letdown when a, a key player ends up coming out of the game or getting injured or whatever. And I, I know I've fallen victim of it to it. I can picture moments in my head when <laughs> the game turned, when that kid went down, right? Not because, not necessarily because you missed the talents of the player, although that always hurts. A lot of times it's just, it's, it's that emotional letdown. You still have those. And it's so hard to, de- to to guard against, especially if that kid is a popular player in the locker room. Right. You know, if he's one of the, the spiritual leaders of a group or whatever, it's just it, that's that's a hard thing to overcome sometimes. Still break out or wake up in cold sweats, uh, reliving some of those. <laughs> there are a couple <laughs> that stand out in my mind. Yeah, yes, yeah. where the turning point to a game that was pretty competitive was right there. You know, when 
when one of your key guys gets injured and, and you can just you can just see it on the faces of your team. And no matter what you do or say, it's very hard to recover from that. So both of those teams have interesting uh, games coming up this week. You've got Pinkerton goes home to host Goffstown, which, uh, you know, had a rough first week of its own uh, against Keene. Uh, and then Wyndham goes on the road to play a Saturday afternoon game uh, at Stelos against Nashua South, which we'll we'll talk about in a moment here. And that that one, um, you know, I, again, I both teams um, wasn't really too sure what to expect out of out of both of them coming into this year. But you know, with the way they both performed, um, you know, in the first week, that might be a more interesting game than I, I might have expected. Uh, you know, going into the season, and and again, that's uh, I know Nashua South. The the score didn't look so great for them, losing to Bishop Girton thirty seven seven on Saturday. Um, you know, but they, you know, and, and Coach Scott Knight talked about this after the game. They did some nice things in that game. Um, you know, starting with with quarterback uh, Karsten Lemire, who was making his first uh, start at quarterback, and who also, I guess, didn't actually ever play football until. Uh, three years ago, so a uh, very uh, interesting or, or, or quick rise for for the, um, the senior quarterback there. Yeah, I'd say so. That's not the easiest position to play under any circumstance, no. let alone you know, it was kind of a kind of a late breaking uh, late breaking into the sport athlete. You yeah, know, that that that's uh, that's an interesting story in itself. So yeah, South, um, you know, going into it, kind of expected them to have a hard time against Bishop Girton. You know, one of the teams that we kind of pegged as a, a favorite in Division One, with so many guys returning, and, and that game, it just started off that way. You know, the the Cardinals got the opening kickoff. Um, you know, drove right down the field. Um, it would help if I actually had those numbers in front of me to talk about them. <laughs> um, yeah, going 62 yards uh, on the opening drive. Um, they scored again on their second try, second possession to go up fifteen to nothing, and um, you know it was kind of it was twenty two seven at halftime, and it felt kind of like uh, you know where you know South had been able to move the ball a little bit with its short passing game, hadn't been able to run the ball much, um, you know it had a bunch of penalties in the first half, and and it kind of felt like you know which way could this game go? Uh, BG ends up getting a stop to to open the second half. Um, you know, has to punt it away. They eventually ended up pulling away, but it was, um, or excuse me, um, yeah, they got the stop. They scored on the first drive of the second half. That's I'm sorry about that. Um, you know, made it 30-7, to seven, and that was kind of when it felt like that game was, was kind of wrapped up for them. Yeah, you were there, so you saw much better than I did. I, uh, I watched a little bit of the game online. And to me, it didn't look like South was quite as bad as the score indicated. There's some yeah. good players on that South team. It did look like maybe BG was a little bit more, I don't know whether you would call it like sort of veteran slash experience or whatever coming in, right? In other words, I guess that's a nicer way of saying it. It looked like South might have just been struggling through a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of a youth movement, right? I think they've yeah. got a number of first-year players that are out there and probably had less experience, right? Um, I also thought that the Cardinals, their their offensive weapons are pretty good. You know, that running back quarterback tandem um, is devastating. 
right? I mean, either one of those guys is, you know, they're almost like a college player in terms of just their physicality. Big, strong, quick legs. Um, BG has a couple of pretty imposing receivers out on the outside that uh, Santa Suazo can just sort of get the ball to, right? I mean, you can just sort of put it up over a, um, you know, an undersized DB and let the kid go get it. Um, they've got weapons. I thought if BG had any weakness, it was that their O-line uh, at times seemed to struggle a little bit with Nashua South's front, but I thought that the that it wasn't enough, obviously, to be a problem, right? I mean, I'm right. trying to find a, a little bit of a ray of sunshine for <laughs> South here, but <laughs> but I, I thought South's front played pretty well, and I just thought they had to contend with some really big ball carriers up inside, whether it was the quarterback or the running back, and it made it really difficult. Yeah, you mentioned um, the running, the rushing attack for for BG and uh, Santa Suazo had uh, over 140 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, threw for two more touchdowns. As, as South made a, you know, it seemed like they made more of an effort to to kind of shut down, uh, you know, Charlie Bellavance and 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 BG's inside rushing game. Uh, Bellavance still had 84 yards rushing. Um, but yeah, the the two touchdowns passing, uh, kind of a. A, a thing, good thing to see for for BG that they're able to kind of mix that in, and also mix in a couple of other kids too. Um, you know, last year it was a lot of of Bellavance and Santa Suazo, you know, going back and forth carrying the ball. Um, you know, the first touchdown pass, uh, first score the the year for BG goes to Connor Gabord, who's uh, a senior who is a very good lacrosse player, uh, and and took last year off as far as from what I understand to to focus on you know his uh, recruitment there. Uh, came back this year and he he was as good as he was on offense. I think he probably even stood out more on defense. Um, you know put you know put a lot of pressure on South's um, offense there um, when he was on the field. And then the second touchdown pass going to um, oh other side of the roster here. Uh, Gavin Bombara, who um, was on the varsity, a senior who's on varsity for the first time this year too, um, you know, had a night. That was a nice uh, throw and catch there, and really, that's I think that's the one that kind of put the game away for them, right? Uh, made it uh, thirty to, or excuse me, now I've lost it in my yeah thirty to seven there. Um, yeah, you know, so those to, to see other guys step up and, and, and be weapons for them, um, I think just gives them a, a you know an extra wrinkle that, that they're really going to need this year. Yeah, I mean, they were good last year, and everybody knew it was going to be Santa Suasso or Bella Vance. And they were still pretty good right. offensively. Yeah. So if they have that added dimension now where they've got some of their receivers going and, you know, they've got um, Gabbard back. Is that how you pronounce it, Gabbard? Gabbard, yeah board yeah they've got him back they've got a couple other guys out there that they can rely on again i was impressed with what i saw from their receiving core it looked like they you know they blocked well they ran good routes they they were aggressive um on the on the passes that were thrown to them uh, getting up for them so that could be uh you know that could be a, a a much much more dangerous dimension to them this year of course i i gotta remind everyone too that um this year i'm i'm Bishop Girton is the subject of uh, the season, uh, the behind-the-scenes series I've been doing off and on over the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, so you'll be able to see a little bit more uh, about Bishop Girton this year um, with a new episode coming out uh, this Thursday. 
Uh, last week was the first one, so you got plenty of time here if you missed it uh, to go back and check that out. Um, I will say, though, that usually um, usually the first episodes of these uh, are a little bit, um, you know, a little bit slower just because it's more interviews, practice footage. You know, once we start getting into scrimmages and games and there's a little more action and 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 I would imagine, too, that that after the first couple of interviews, the kids are a little more uh, used to me, too, because, um, you know, it's not everyone can can, uh, you know, has a uh, a weird guy like me come in and start asking you, throwing a camera in your face and asking you questions that that, that takes some time to adjust <laughs> to, I would imagine. So, right. Um, no, so it's you, a cool series. It's like I said, I, I uh, now I'm totally mind blanking on the, the name of the popular show that's on. We're like. Hard Knocks. They, they spend like a season with yeah. the, the NFL team. Right, Hard Knocks, the HBO. Hard Knocks, right. Yeah, so it's like it's like the NHIA version of Hard Knocks, right? Like, don't don't sell the practice footage and stuff short. <laughs> like, like, I love that stuff, like seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff about, you know, how the teams get ready for games and all that. So I, I think that's great. It's really cool. Like, I think it's cool if I'm, if I'm a player from another program and, and you want to have a look into how different programs prepare and – you know what they're thinking and stuff is it is it like what we do is it very different from us if i'm just a kid you know in one of the schools that's a big football fan i'm I'm thinking that's cool because it's like wow you know i might not play football maybe i'm a soccer guy or maybe i'm in the band or something but i love football i'm gonna take a look at that like i think there's you know and i'm not i'm not just saying that joe like i i think i well of course i'm gonna say because i'm a huge football nerd but like I, I think it's great stuff. I think that there's there's a lot of cross interest there for people who are just big fans of high school football. It's it's cool stuff to get that inside look. Well, I'm hoping to uh, make this uh, much more consistent. Uh, we were kind of on that path uh, back in 2020, uh, and then uh, I, I don't know if you'll remember the the pandemic um, that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kind of de- a little bit kind of a derailleur. Us. Yeah, we had, I had <laughs> right. I, you know, we we were. I was in the middle of of one with uh, with the Bishop Girton girls basketball team that winter. Had one lined up that we were going to do with with Nashua South uh, boys lacrosse that spring. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully this will keep rolling um, every season, or every every you know doing the season every fall winter spring. Um, but anyway, let's. Uh, I again after I've completely derailed us. Let's. Uh, <laughs> Any other um, any other Division One games that kind of stood out to you um, in terms of, of scores and and all that, um, you know? Before we move on, yeah, I just I have one note I want to make just because it's a it's a it's a fascinating note I think, and and, and that was New Hampshire played against Maine this weekend, right? Uh, where Merrimack went to play um, a very good Bonnie Eagle team up in Maine. It's about two hours. Uh, north of of Merrimack's position, and uh, it was a tightly contested game. I can't remember the score right off the top of my head. It might have been uh, thirty three twenty seven. I've got your uh, okay. Your, I was going to say thirty four twenty seven. So I, I would have been close, but um, you, you know, I got to see a little bit of that game as well. And uh, you know, my impression from that was that Merrimack was a much more physical team than I expected them to be. Um, I actually thought Merrimack physically was was superior to to Bonnie Eagle from Maine. Um, And and I think Merrimack just sort of got bit with the big play and turnover bug a little bit. Um, But from a physical standpoint, Merrimack's front, their offensive line, like uh, Romello Hyde was a beast. Um, I saw some of his highlights on Twitter and, I mean, just running like a man. Um, 
he seemed to be not that he wasn't a good player last year, but he seemed to be a, a, a like he's made a, a leap in terms of his effectiveness. So, so that's kind of interesting, you know, because uh, I think it's kind of fun that some of the division one teams have scheduled out of state games this year. And, and it's been a long, long time. I suspect since we played a main crossover, I don't think um, it's, I think that was actually the first game um, between a Maine and New Hampshire team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. It may have been. So I, I just thought that was an interesting footnote as well. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say whether that told us anything about Merrimack or not. Cause again, not against an opponent that right, we're, we're right. familiar with other than I know that's a good team uh, up, up, up in Maine, but, uh, but something to think about there too. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting. We got a couple more of those games uh, coming up this weekend. You've got um, the the one. I, I think this is the one that a lot of people will will keep their eyes on because Londonderry is going down to uh, Rhode Island to face uh, Bishop Hendrecken, who is um, one of the top teams consistently in Rhode Island. Um, so that oh. game, that game is on Saturday, and then you've also got uh, Exeter hosting uh, Champaign Champlain Valley Union. Uh, from Vermont, uh, also Saturday afternoon. So a couple more. Oh, and then I, I actually <laughs> missed a couple of the Friday ones too. Uh, you've also have Dover going up to Sanford, Maine, to play up there, and then Spalding is hosting uh, Edward Little, uh, which is another Maine team uh, that I am forgetting where exactly they are from. But a um, couple of out-of-state games this weekend to keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> no, no doubt it's weird but but it's kind of fun like I, I don't i don't know there's again it's it's different you know so it's it's a point of interest i guess it's it's i i just find it fascinating so a couple other d1 scores i want to uh, at least just hit on real quick before we move on is um you know that uh i know at, you know at stello's friday night checking scores on twitter and seeing that that central is up seven nothing on salem for what felt like you know, more than than a half there, and then all of a sudden Salem comes roaring back, 35 unanswered points. Uh, you know, David Jocks and, and Justice uh, Cusado, I, I think that's how you say that. I apologize if it's not. Um, come back and win 35 7. Um, and then Timberlane making its return to Division I uh, with a 41 13 win over Manchester Memorial. And they've got a big game coming up on Friday as they, they host Bishop Girton. Um, yes. Friday night, so that should be that should be quite the game. I will I will be at that one, of course. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's transition now to Division Two and uh, anything that stood out, to, any scores that stood out to you there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think we we usually enjoy talking more about the the contested games, right? The competitive games, um, but. I, you know, you asked me an honest question, I'll give you an honest answer, and that was any scores that stood out to you. I mean, it felt like Sauhegan uh, beat Hillsborough during Hopkinton like a million to nothing or something. 60 to 6 um, is what I'm looking at here. Was it 60 to 6? 6 D, 6 0, yes. Yeah, and I think, and I think those, that the 6 came on the last play of the game, if I'm not mistaken, um, from, from HDH. So. You know that that was definitely an eye opener. Uh, I don't remember right. the last time Sauhegan put up sixty on somebody. It's rare that you ever see anybody putting up sixty on on somebody. Although uh, Trinity did it uh, yep. this past weekend <laughs> as well. You know, so we had a couple of uh, a couple of one sided games, but certainly that stood out. Um, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Sauhegan this off season as a 
a really talented team and uh you know you, you know you don't put up 60 points on somebody just because right just because they're, they're not very good and you're pretty good i mean you know by all accounts from what i understood Sauhegan was doing everything they could to try not to score and they were still just sort of outclassing um the red hawks throughout the game um you know after the game was out of out of reach obviously right. um so that really stood out i i thought that the uh the milford um john stark score was interesting uh, you know, John Stark has obviously struggled the last several years. Milford was, you know, was the runner-up last season. I know they lost a lot of key players, but they lost, they brought a lot of good players back. So that that certainly stood out to me. Um, and and I also thought that Laconia uh, coming up in their opener in Division Two and and sort of, you know, for all intents and purposes, just blowing out uh, Lebanon. Right was was a pretty big statement especially given Lebanon's status last year right undefeated until their playoff loss to Milford right yeah yeah um the other one that kind of oh, you know that I I caught there the, excuse me that caught my eye was that St. Thomas Merrimack Valley score uh yeah know, where you had where St. Thomas beat Merrimack Valley 12 to 9 in overtime um overtime right and 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 I guess St. Thomas had to score late even to force it into overtime, uh, Merrimack Valley kicks a field goal on its possession, and then St. Thomas ends the game, um, you know, with a touchdown. Um, just, uh, you know, I'm just going off of of recent history. I mean, St. Thomas, you know, had a big, you know, was down for a couple of years, had a big bounce back last year, making the semifinals. And I know, you know, Merrimack Valley has has struggled um, a little bit recently, um, you know, but maybe you know this is a good sign. Hopefully for them, um, you know that this uh, this could be a, a maybe a, a bit, little bit more of a, a you know successful season than we've seen in in the, in the years past. And then I guess the other score that kind of stood out to me, um, at least early on, was the the Plymouth uh, Pembroke game. You know, Plymouth ends up winning thirty one sixteen, but that game was was fairly close in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it looks like you know maybe maybe that East Conference. You know, I think. I think we kind of agreed last week that the West might have a little bit more, a few more teams that are kind of that like upper echelon um, than maybe the East, but maybe, maybe the East might be a little bit deeper um, in terms of, of quality teams that are going to be fighting for those playoff spots. Yeah. I had the same impression, right? I mean, the St. Thomas story, not just the score, but that story really did stick out as an interesting one. I, you know, uh, and, and, you know, Merrimack Valley seemingly, even though the score was kind of deadlocked 6-6, you know, they got a good rushing performance out of their two top backs. I think they had Buddy Eddie and Reese Claremont combined for, you know, 180, 190 yards on the ground. And St. Thomas, you know, traditionally pretty good defensively. I think they were pretty good defensively last year. Um, so, yeah, you know, if, if, if Merrimack Valley's found their way up, um and, you know, you can add them to sort of the list of competitors from that particular conference, um, then, yeah, maybe it, maybe that's not as down a conference as we might have suspected, and I think that's good for everyone. Yeah. And uh, Division Three, um, I know there was one game that you kind of had your eye on um, that uh, at halftime, you know, was, it was a pretty close game and then kind of got away. Uh, of course, that was uh, Monadnock beating Fall Mountain 34 nothing. That was a seven nothing game at, going into the second half, right? 
It was, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. There were, there, there were a couple of things about that game that I didn't realize. You know, one was that... Um, yeah, and I'm so I'm I'm terrible with names now. <laughs> the, but the head coach over there, um, Manadnock's head coach. Oh, um, <laughs> who yeah, I know. Yeah, I used yeah. to talk to him when he was the assistant there when I was at Salhegan. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot here. They, I know they, um, they got a new head coach last year. Yeah, but but anyway, not I to will, belabor because it's my. Yeah, I will find an answer for you. In a second. You'll find it. Well, yeah. and I just had it in front of me a couple of minutes ago, and of course I've lost it. But so he he was serving out the second of a two game suspension, I guess, that was carried over from last year for reasons I, d- I don't know, right? So, right. Uh, and probably none of my business. But that's always kind of an emotional deal to get the kids cranked up around a little bit, right? It, that can go either way. And there was a really it, uh, a really pretty bold article that was written locally. I can't remember if it was Keen Sentinel or what it was, but basically it was Manadnock seniors and captains and things saying like, you know, we're we're absolutely out for it this year, right? Like we, we missed the playoffs last year. We were nothing but disappointed. We are not messing around this season. We're coming after people. I mean, it was just boom, right? It was there was there was no uh you know, tiptoeing around, well, we think we might be okay. You know, there was no sandbagging it. They were like, anything short of success and playoffs is a, will be a failure this season, which I thought was pretty cool. But, you know, then you think about going into halftime, you know, it's only a touchdown game to Fall Mountain, who's who's come up a division to play you in yeah. the opener. And you wonder about the emotions that had to kick in there at halftime. Um, but, but yeah, you know, they certainly turned it on at the end, no question. And, uh, you know, but, but if you're fall mountain, you've got to, I mean, I know it sounds kind of weird, but like, you got to feel pretty good about that. Cause Manadnock is a really, really good team year in and year out. You've just come up into a, a brand new division and you know, you hung with them for a half. They might've outlasted you. Maybe it was a depth thing or a physicality thing, but you proved that you could play with them. So I thought that was a pretty interesting game. So to, so to answer your question there, it is uh, Rob Latito is the head coach who, yes, was uh, was missed a game for uh, the second of a two-game suspension, and Jake Poulin was filling in as the head coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they got um, a huge game from, from uh, the Ethans, Ethan Jarvis, Ethan Brown. Um, huge second halves uh, rushing. Um, yeah, that, I mean, so they – and they um, – who do they play this week? Uh, Stevens at home um, in another in a you know from another game that was really an interesting one score wise I I don't know how much you were able to follow that Saturday afternoon uh, but Stevens went to Interlakes Moultonboro got out to an early lead and uh, and and the Lakers came right back and win twenty six twenty two in um, you know that was definitely a score that kind of had my you know opened my eyes a little bit and then Kearsarge, uh in a battle of the Cougars. Uh, Gets a 36-21 win over Conval, but that game was a little bit closer than that final score uh, early on. You know, so so those two uh, or those you know four games, or excuse me, four teams in those two games, kind of a interesting back and forths there. Um, you know, but then as you mentioned earlier too, that you know Trini just absolutely taking it to Kingswood, um, 67 to eight in that one. And I, I wonder if maybe there's you know like we talked about tiers of teams in the other divisions. I think I think we might see them a little bit here with 
with maybe Manadnock, Trinity, and Campbell just at this point in the year being uh, a step ahead of, of a lot of the other teams in the division. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, did, I did follow that Interlakes game against Stevens uh, on Twitter. I was out of state for most of the weekend, but uh, was doing my best wherever signal, wherever I had signal to <laughs> kind of follow through on Twitter. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that, that was a little bit of an eye-opener. Totally agreed. Uh, even the way that the, the game just sort of went down was fascinating. But here's the big question that I have, or maybe it's just a, a strong statement that I've got to make, but I think that when the New Hampshire, the NHIA football committee is looking at divisions and who to put where and all that stuff, Next next cycle, they got to look at Conval, Campbell, and and Kearsarge. Kearsarge. having what you mean? You mean having three teams nicknamed the Cougars in one division doesn't do it for you? No, you can't do that. It's just <laughs> I don't care whether they need to change the bylaws or do something, but that that is completely unacceptable, and it cannot be allowed to you're, stand. I mean, it's, next, it, yeah, you're right. Cycle. It's it's bad enough. I remember that from the old Division Three. You know, whenever Milford would go play Pembroke, and I'd have yeah. to, you know, you referred to them as the Blue Spartans and the Green Spartans because everybody's Spartans. Right. Yeah. So I can't believe that. Is that? I think is that the first time that that's happened? It's uh, got to be the first time. It, that yeah, those three teams I would. Have been I would think division. so. I don't even know if there's another. You know, uh, we don't have that many Panthers. I think in the state or or you know anything else. So yeah, that's got to be a, a first. Yeah. I, there's quite a few eagles, so maybe maybe that maybe that one, uh, maybe that's yep. happened before, but I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, that's painful. That's got to get fixed. Yeah, and then um, so that you know, Division Three, uh, they got their season started. Um, we got one division that's starting its season this coming weekend, and that's Division Four. You know, as we we talked about uh, previously, the just eight teams in Division Four this year. So they will only play uh, a seven-game regular season schedule, so the bye week to start week one, um, and then they'll have an, a, a full bye week uh, in week eight, uh, with the exception, I believe, Newport's playing an out-of-state game uh, that week. But, you know, everyone else playing seven games. Um, you know, Friday you got Newfound going to play at Summersworth, the, the defending division champs. And then Saturday, uh, a trio of games with Winnesquam at Bishop Brady, Raymond at Franklin, and then Muscoma Valley at Newport. So everybody gets uh, gets a game in uh, this weekend uh, as Division Four gets started. All right. Well, I don't know, Mike. Any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, we wrap up for a week for the week? No, it's like you said. I, I think it was an entertaining week one. It was there were there were some surprises for sure. Which, but again, I think there always is that that factor to week one. Um, and and I think we always sort of have to admit to ourselves we don't we don't quite know enough yet to start thinking about you know when you look at at the week two matchups like who the clear underdogs are and who the clear you know. Um, you know, teams that, you know, on paper, quote unquote, should win. It's just too many variables still. And that, that's why I love the beginning of the season so much is that um, there's, there's, there's no sure things yet. You know, there's, there's really anything can happen. And um, as teams find their identities and what works for them and things, there's, there's a lot of interesting football that gets played. It's not quite as cool as like when people are in mid, mid-season form, but it's just a different kind of fun, you know, as, as these teams find their way at the beginning of the season. 
Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking forward to next week. Definitely, uh, still a couple of weeks here of uh, of surprises. I'm, I would hope, and um, you know, and and hopefully that continues out throughout the year. I think we're gonna. I think we're in for, you know, especially in Division One and Division Two. I think we're in for a pretty competitive year, um, or at least that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think so. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, he is Mike Lockman. Mike, thanks again for joining me. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Joe. I am Joe Marcellina, and we will talk to you next week, and enjoy the games.